Just past 7 o'clock. Monday night, you hear the music, you start getting excited. It's time for Iron Sports. This is the True Oldies channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. Going to be a great show. So much to get to. As always, we'll start it off, Ira, with... I, I, I feel like, you know, in the almost half a decade we've been doing this show, I don't really think you've gone to many Miami Dolphins games. You've been to Hard Rock Stadium for more other events besides Dolphins games than you have for actual Dolphins games, but you were there this Sunday. Oh, just an amazing clash between the 1-7 <laughs> and seven Texans and the 1-7 and seven Dolphins. And I think the most surprising thing, there were people at the game. I, I thought I'd show up there, but it's, it was really half-filled. I felt there was the COVID protocols were still in place. I mean, you could go there. There was no lines at concession stands. It was like I was the only person in the row. With It was very, it was like that. So it was very easy. I can't wait to talk more about this. Hey, a win's a win, and the Dolphins did uh, get the win here, and it looks good, I guess, for the coaching staff. Even though there was a lot of ugly football there, a win's a win. Yeah, a win's a win, but terrible. One of the worst games. I mean, the game would have been up to up in Jacksonville for the game against Buffalo. Who would have ever thought? I mean, we had some wild weekend in pro football, and that was what some of these big upsets were. No one saw these games coming. We'll talk more about it later, how it's really... There's a couple of spots where you just don't know what's going to happen. I mean, the AFC's up for grabs. The NFC, we're probably going to get a pretty mediocre team in the playoffs, so we have plenty to talk about. Also, we're going to speak with Lars Anderson at 7.30. Tell us about him. Now, Lars Anderson, A Season in the Sun, the inside story of Bruce Arians, Tom Brady, and the making of a champion. Uh, we had Seth Withers, Sam Om, two weeks ago talking about Brady and Belichick. This is Brady and Arians and Brady and the Tampa Bay and how this all came together and the work. And it's a great book. I, they, both these books I saw were the top sellers, two top, top books in uh, sports books in the, in the country. So it's great to have these authors. And Lars has written uh, a zillion other uh, great books. So let's talk about it just briefly. We have a new world champion, a team that wasn't even looking like they were going to make the playoffs about halfway through the season. Took it all. Congratulations to the Atlanta Braves. Yeah, I mean, seven. They won uh, in game six, seven, nothing. Uh, Max Fried, they finally got a start. We finally saw great starting pitching. He pitched seven in six. He pitched uh, six innings, gave up four hits, uh, no runs. And then they finished with Matzik and Will Smith uh, closing it off seven, nothing in a shutout. Uh, home run by Solar and Swanson. And then Freeman doubled him. And then Solar won the MVP. Jorge Solar won the MVP uh, of the of the World Series. And I think the issue is this. You're a team, and if you're Tampa, who won 100 games, Boston 92, Yankees 92, Toronto 91, White Sox 93, Astros 95, Mariners 90, Milwaukee 95, St. Louis 90, Giants, well, that, forget about Giants and Dodgers, 107, 106. You're like, wait a second. The Braves won 88 games. Yeah. The Braves did not have their best player, by far the Ronald Acuna Jr., their superstar player, wasn't even playing in the playoffs. Their number one pitcher broke his leg in the first game of the World Series. They, This is, I think, frustrating for a lot of teams They're saying, wait a second, why couldn't we get to the World Series? Why couldn't we win the World Series? And if you're a Dodger fan and you're sitting there, I think if the Dodgers or the Giants would win the World Series, the other teams would say, look, they were better. It was their year. But if you're, but now with an 88-win team, just shows you anything can happen in baseball. And I think if you're a Dodger fan, you are furious with this team because there's, I mean, the Astros look so vulnerable. They didn't really score at all. The good pitching stopped their hitting, and they clearly didn't have any pitching whatsoever. So I think it's a. I think the Dodger fans are very upset, but I think any other team that won over 80-some games is upset, too. <laughs> Did you happen to see <clears throat> Trevor Plouffe, former uh, pro, He does. he's an analyst now, he predicted this in March. He said Braves uh, win it in six in March, which is just fantastic. Obviously a little lucky there, but interesting to see how it went. We saw this two years ago at Washington. Last place, you know, with two and a half months to play, win it all. So it, it kind of is just get some timely hitting and string some wins together at the end. And 
you know, you think that the play-in game maybe hurt the Dodgers because it kind of throws off your pitching schedule, and maybe that's a little bit of a part of it. Had they won the division, maybe they would have had a better shot. Dave Roberts is the manager throws off the schedule. That's why. <laughs> he had so much. He had, he had an amazing arsenal of talent. Even with injuries, they should have sustained those and overcame that to win. Um, as much as, look, the Braves had their injuries, too. The Dodgers, you have two, could feel two whole teams, two whole pitching staffs. And uh, just, I think Dave Roberts, uh, this this is, again, I think that you're, you could be looking at the Dodgers have won four World Series and they've won one. Yeah. So they got their one. Just like, But I, this team, like when the Braves had their run where they made the play like nine straight years and mm-hmm. whatever, they weren't dominant every single year. The Dodgers have been dominant and not just get one World Series. At least they got the one. No, you're absolutely right on that. I run sports through all these channels. So real quick. I'm confused about qualifying offers, and this is something that's relatively new. They've only been doing this about five years. Today, a bunch of qualifying offers went out, and to big-name players like Brandon Belt, Correa, Freddie Freeman, Robbie Ray, Seager, Simeon, Story, Chris Taylor. What does this all mean, Ira? It just, it's the same problem we're, we talk about in football, where you have rookie quarterbacks playing. It's just in terms of it's a way that the owners in free agency, these players now could be free agents. No one cares that a superstar has to give up. When a qualifying offer means they can get us one-year contract at a certain amount of money. And they give that uh, qualifying offer because if somebody, if they, if someone signs them, they have to give compensation. They have to give draft. Compensation means draft picks. So the point is, no one cares about draft picks with Correa or, or Seager, but it's these other players that are sort of like a Chris Taylor for the Dodgers. Maybe another team won't sign him because they have to give up a compensation pick for it. And that's what the players are furious of. You see a strike. It's one of the aspects that the players are very, very upset about. They don't want to, they, they, if you're a free agent, they want you to be a free agent. They don't want this compensation thing. And it makes perfect sense in the case of like a Noah Syndergaard who hasn't pitched in two and a half years. They can, they know what the price is going to be and Nobody's probably going to take him anyway, not knowing what his what his arm looks like. So, kind of makes sense in that case. But yeah, none of these big guys not not probably going to. Affect but it's them. but it does chill the other players, and that's why some of these players you see sitting out. They haven't been signed in April, May, or June, May, and they're saying because they they're begging the teams to take the qualifying offer away from them because they're like no one wants to give up compensation to get this. They just want to sign me for ten million or eight million. They don't want to they want to sign me for the qualifying. Yeah, no, offer. it makes sense. Um, Let's go to NCAA Ira. We had talked about it. probably not the most exciting weekend as, as far as matchups looked on paper, but we did have, uh, of course, Georgia keeps rolling. Georgia is, I mean, they played Missouri. They're 9-0. They're number one, and they're number one with just total number one. There's really, they could be, they could probably lose uh, two games and still be number one at this level, but um, they were up 26-3 at the end of the first half. Uh, they finally got JT Daniels, their star quarterback, back, who because they've been using Stetson Bennett almost the whole year, but it's one of those things where they were able to shut down. Missouri had the best at the leading rusher in the SEC and Tyler Battle and he only ran for 41 yards uh, the Georgia was missing two of their defensive players and they still play great and it was I mean look at these final scores 40 to 13 over South Carolina 62 nothing Vanderbilt 37 nothing Arkansas Auburn 34 10 Kentucky 30 to 13 Florida 34 to 7 now 43 to 6 they play Tennessee Charleston Southern Georgia Tech next they're going to be 12 and 0 going to the SEC's high championship game this defense is one of the best defenses we've had in, in a year in a time when we see all this offense it was the best defense we've seen in Years. You're saying they could have seven, you know, seven starters go in the draft. It's crazy. LSU and Alabama, Ira. I mean, Alabama, I, I think it's safe to say they are the second best team in, in college football. But, man, they look beatable at times. And this was another week where they kind of did. 
It was. It, it, LSU went up to a 7 nothing lead. Alabama scores two, and you're thinking 14-7. They're like, okay, then they're going to run away with it. But when they got to 20-7, to they missed an extra point. But they couldn't score the rest of the game. And then when LSU cut it to 20-14, to LSU two times came down with a chance that you're like, they're going to score. They're going to score a touchdown. And they got stopped on an interception. They got stopped on downs. And uh, when Alabama was able to uh, uh, to stop them, but to win the game 20-14. to But Alabama's rushing game was terrible. 26 carries for six yards. Uh, Bryce Young played great at quarterback, 24, 307, 302 yards, two touchdowns. But in the end, it's just, it's this something is missing on this Alabama team. Yeah. They are, they're, some weeks they look amazing, uh, but they lost, beat Florida by two. They lose to Texas A&M by three. Now they have this six point win over LSU. It, it's like, one, it's like you're watching this, you're like, can they beat Georgia? I don't know. Like, I'm so convinced they yeah. were going to be able to beat Georgia. But if they lose to Georgia, they're not going to be a championship game. The takeaway is this. LSU, Edward Ergonian, who I think two years ago was the head coach of one of the best football teams I've ever, ever seen, maybe the best ever, gets fired this year, still coaching the team. I have no idea. He was able, they were 30-point underdogs. He motivated his team. He's a great motivator. He's a great coach. He's a great recruiter. And what happened last year during COVID, a lot of coaches had problems. He loses his entire team to the NFL draft. He loses uh, all his coaching staff. He has to replace them. I have no idea why they fired him. I've been reading article after article. He clearly said, well, he lost his team. Does losing does, does losing to Alabama by six look like and they destroyed Florida? I mean, the fact is he's able to show that I mean, they haven't lost his team and they lose by six to Alabama and they're in Alabama. Has there ever been a firing and rehiring in the same seat? It's like, we, you know, we talk about who are you going to replace him with? Even if you don't like him, do you have a candidate lined up that's better than him? I don't think so. Short of Dabo Sweeney, I have no idea who wanted to. But if they're going to fire, like, okay, here's your thing. You win the national title. You go, what, 17-0, whatever they went, with one of the greatest teams you've ever could imagine. They beat, like, every single top 10 team in there. Two years, then you're going to get fired. I mean, what standards do they set? It's impossible. I mean, Nick Saban might even get fired if he took this job again. (laughs) It's crazy how that turned out. Um, Michigan State, this was weird. I mean, they're coming off a massive win over Michigan the week prior and dropped one to Purdue. Purdue, and this is, we're going to talk about this for next week. Purdue is a 20-point underdog to Ohio State. I have no idea why how they're 20-point They've already beat Iowa. They've already now beat Michigan State. And the game really wasn't close. They took it. They got a big lead in the game. They were able to hold on. And 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 and, and Michigan State couldn't come back like they did against Michigan the week before. Uh, Aiden O'Connell for Purdue it was 500. He might be someone who's going to get drafted now because 536 yards, three touchdowns. He looked great in that game. And, and when Michigan State tied at 21-21, you're like, okay, now this is time for them to take over the game. But Boy, Purdue just got that, was able to to stay away. But, you know, in the whole series about this Michigan State loss, it's as long as they win the Big Ten, as long as they beat Penn State, as long as they beat Ohio Ohio State, they're going to, then they're going to win the Big Ten and they'll still make the playoffs. So this loss hurt them, but I don't think it's like, oh, it ended them. The winner of the Big Ten with one loss is going to go to the college football playoffs. So it's not over for Michigan State. They only have one loss. But now Ohio State has one loss. Penn State has, Ohio State has one loss. Michigan has one loss, and Michigan State has one loss. Uh, let's talk Oregon and Washington. Uh, nice win here for Oregon. A little closer than it probably should have been, but you got to win these games. It was, I watched that game. It was pouring down rating. And why are we talking about Oregon? Because they're 8-1. and one. They're ranked fourth in the cultural playoffs. And now clearly they, the committee that, was the, that came out last Tuesday, they had Ohio State 5. 
Look, Oregon went to Ohio State. They beat Ohio State, Ohio State. Yep. So if Ohio State wins the Big Ten, and they're not going to take Oregon out because Oregon said, look, you have one loss, and we gave you that one loss. Yeah. And we lost to Stanford, <laughs> but we went to Ohio State and won. So that's why Oregon is probably rooting for Ohio State to win the Big Ten. But Oregon is this – I always thought this is chance, but they look so vulnerable. They look like they're a beatable team. But as long as they keep winning, um, they play uh, Washington State, Utah, and Oregon State to finish out the, the Pac-12 season. But uh, – Look, Oregon is. It looks like from the committee's perspective, they're going to be in the playoff as long as they stay. They don't lose again. You mentioned Ohio State. They had a win over Nebraska, and Nebraska's actually said that they're not going to fire uh, Scott Frost. They're going to restructure his deal. Twenty six seventeen was the final here. Yeah, it was a lot closer. I mean, after that big win over Penn State the week before, I think Ohio State um, just was it. They were up seventeen three, but sort of let Nebraska hang around. It was one of those games where they were hanging around in that game. C.J. Stroud, the quarterback, had four hundred five yards, two touchdowns, but he threw two bad interceptions and Ninja Smith. Najiba had 15 catches for 240 yards for Ohio State. But now Nebraska has lost 16 straight to ranked opponents. Um, they have four straight losing seasons under Frost. Remember, Frost was from Central Florida when he had that great undefeated season. Yeah. I agree. He's he's. A, I, I just think some of these teams, they fire their coaches too much. They're improving. I keep Frost there. It's like, who are you going to get that's better? It's always that comment. But Ohio State now is Purdue. Then they have uh, Michigan State and Michigan to finish. So this is a tough. Now this is, these three games are going to be really tough to see what happens. And they can't afford it. It's like when you're watching these games with these one losses, no two-loss team has never made the college football playoffs, so this is going to be it. Let's talk about uh, Cincinnati beating Tulsa here and remaining uh, undefeated. Well, the committee, I'm putting this in here because Cincinnati's ranked sixth in the committee. They, I had thought they'd be fourth, but clearly the committee is putting the one-loss teams ahead of them. They don't want Cincinnati, in, and Cincinnati's doing nothing with style points. They they have looked bad against Navy, bad against Tulane, and they almost lost this game against Tulsa, who's three and six. These yeah. are terrible teams, and they have nothing to look. They play South Florida, SMU, and East Carolina, teams with all these other losses. SMU is a little bit better than the others, but still, there's nothing to impress. Cincinnati really needs now. These other teams have two losses. There's no other way they're going to get it. And I agree. Someone said they don't need style points anymore because I don't think style points matter for them. They just have to keep winning and hope other teams have two losses. You think if they had won these last couple of games by three touchdowns, they'd be moving up to the top four? I don't know. I don't I, think so. I don't think so either. I think that the, I think their Lord, their state, they don't want Cincinnati in, and they're like, you're going to have to. There's going to have to be Armageddon before Cincinnati comes in, and that's why I thought if there's ever a year it was going to happen. And their win is remember Cincinnati's big win was Notre Dame. If Notre Dame keeps winning. And Notre Dame is ranked eighth or ninth in the uh, cultural playoffs. Yeah. That's a great win. It's like Oregon with Ohio State. So Oregon wants Ohio State to keep winning. Cincinnati <laughs> wants Notre Dame to keep winning. Michigan uh, got back in the win column. Well, beating Indiana, and they look great. I mean, they, they really are, are, are primed. And now I'm excited because next week we've got Michigan at Penn State. I'll be at that game. I'm pumped for that. That's going to be awesome. Well, let's, uh, well, Oklahoma had the week off. Let's talk about Oklahoma State. Oklahoma State. The reason we're mentioning that is the Big 12 has Oklahoma and Oklahoma State. They, they each have their 8-1. and one. Oklahoma's undefeated. They were off. Oklahoma State's 8-1. and one. And Oklahoma State's only loss was to Iowa State. They played TCU, Texas Tech, and then the final game against Oklahoma uh, the final season. Baylor lost to TCU. So now Baylor had one loss. They're out. So really, if the Big 12 gets a team in, it's either going to be Oklahoma or Oklahoma State getting in the, the four. But you can see they put Oklahoma at eight. They're undefeated. They put Cincinnati ahead of Oklahoma. That shows you how much respect Oklahoma has. And they're probably going to need a lot to happen in terms to get in. So it's interesting you brought up Baylor, who... 
you know, TCU fired their legendary coach to put them on the map. They actually get a win the next week. But I, I keep hearing national media say the same thing as we are. Ira, who are you replacing him with? Like, what was the plan here? No, I mean, Gary Patterson is tremendous. I can't. He's younger. I, I don't know why he does. I mean, Oregonian's only, I think, 65. I, they, I think Patterson should get another job. I mean, I would hire him anywhere in terms of what he's able to do. So I think it's, it's, it's and they and he didn't finish out the season. They offered the chance for him to sit, finish the season at TCU. He's been there for 22 years, but uh, they, he decided not to. This is Ira on Sports, True Oldies Channel. I'm Mike Balsamo, 730. We'll talk to Lars Anderson. Uh, let's talk about UNC and Wake Forest, because this one got interesting. Well, I mean, Wake was up by 45-27 in the third quarter. Wake was the only undefeated ACC team left. They lost. So they lost. Michigan State lost. Some of these undefeated teams lost to UNC. Um, but UNC outscored them 31-3 at the end of the game. And there was that hope that Wake Forest had. is like, oh, we're undefeated. We're going to make it. They're out. So, as I said, we really have eight teams playing for four spots for the college football playoff. Um, let's talk a little Penn State. Well, Penn State beat Maryland, and that was, and it was, it was actually thirty-one to fourteen. It was a little closer than what the score indicates. But Tahani Dotson had eleven passes for two hundred forty-two yards and three touchdowns. He is one of the best receivers Penn State's ever had, and it just shows you the offensive patheticness. I'm going to use that word of <laughs> Penn State because against Illinois, they had seven times they had the ball, and they in the overtime for seven overtimes, and they never threw it to Dotson once. Then they never had him, catch, and he catches everything. He's he's going. To be a first round draft pick. He is the best wide receiver in college football. Just watch. He's Antonio Brown. He literally is Antonio Brown playing college football. That's how he, he can go long, he can go deep, catch every pass. But Penn State, Michigan, next week, I'll be there. Um, the game of the week that everyone was looking forward to Texas AM and Auburn. And I didn't see this coming Texas AM with the big win. Yeah, Auburn finally. It was the, it was the, the two lost SEC West East teams, or West teams, and Texas AM won 20-3. Auburn is just, they're a tease. They look good, they keep playing well, and then they go against Texas A&M and have this bad loss. Camp Bo Nix played terrible, and uh, it was just, it was one of those games where Auburn just could not get anything going, and Texas A&M just had a defensive touchdown near the end of the game. But uh, that was... Auburn is Auburn's big thing is going to be the end of the year they're going to play Alabama at Auburn. It might be a game I go to that final week. Awesome, back, I've never been to Auburn for a game, but so I was thinking about going to the Alabama at Auburn, which Auburn now has three losses. But Texas A&M now with two. We talked about Auburn because they still control their own destiny. If they beat Alabama, they could get to the SEC title game. Now they can. So Texas A&M needs Auburn to beat. Uh, Alabama, then Texas AM would go. Do you wear your Penn State gear when you go to these random, uh, you know, SEC and, and ACC matchups? I wear, I wear my Iron Sports stuff when Penn State or Steelers don't play. I love it. Uh, interesting weekend for Florida teams and the University of Florida kind of does a semi house cleaning after an embarrassing loss. Yeah, South Carolina beat them forty to seventeen in a this game where they had were like aspirations by t- to make the playoff. No, it was it's it, the thing. Uh, the combined Florida teams now are twelve and fifteen. I mean, Florida State's three and six. Miami. Five and four. I mean, I'm just excited because they beat Georgia Tech 33 30. I mean, Florida, it was destroyed by South Carolina 40 17. And people think South Carolina is the worst, one of the worst teams in the, in the SEC. So <laughs> it's just Florida might be one of the worst teams in the SEC at this point. It's awful, awful. Uh, what, what are we watching next week? Uh, Michigan, Penn State uh, at 12 o'clock, Oklahoma, Baylor. Uh, then there's Miami at Florida State, Purdue at Ohio State. Georgia plays at Tennessee, and then at night, I guess Texas A&M and Mississippi is the is a real big game. Let's um let's switch over to the NFL. I were at the Dolphins game. Like I said, I I don't recall you going to a Dolphins game in the last five years. Um, you I went last to, year. You did go to a game. I went to two games. I did went to you? the Seattle game and the Patriots game during oh, the yeah, COVID. So you went to Patriots. Yes. Um, let's talk about the game. This was something weird too because. 
Tua went down, what, like an hour before the game they announced he wasn't playing. So you were surprised people were there. Uh, well, I was. I don't think people knew because I didn't know. I drove in uh, watching, listening to tennis on my radio, <laughs> listening to the Djokovic match. And I got there and it was easy to park. I showed up there. I think the biggest shock was there was actually fans tailgating in the parking lot. I couldn't believe there were fans there. That was shocking to me. And uh, as I said, 50% filled. I'm going to say one thing about the stadium. So I sat on the 50-yard line. I paid $75 a ticket to have like 13 rows up. So it was like 16 rows up. Perfect seats, 50-yard line. But when you sit across from the 72 club, that sun is so great and I and people say well you're not used to Florida Sun I've sat in Florida Suns I've been to all these other stadiums there's something with that with what they have put on with the covering the that I think it makes the sun brighter now I'm not you know some expert in terms of sun but I just could not believe how bright it is you can't even look at your cell phone and take a picture because it's just this it, it comes off the cover there's a covering on the stadium that they cover where the fans are to take for shade but actually it actually I think increases <laughs> or the sun that comes in there for the game there's they had no pins there for the game which I was really upset about and uh, but besides that it was like it was one of those things where I wanted to see I was really hoping to go to there to see Tua and I wanted to see how he played because I think this is the work the Dolphins are if they don't make the Watson trade what's Tua going to be and then he doesn't play standing on the sideline encouraging but he hurt his middle finger and they wouldn't let him play but now you're looking at all these injuries he's a rib injury he has now a finger injury last year he was injured again with his ankle and he's had the hip injuries in, in college it's there's a point where you know when we look at Eli Manning and playing every all these consecutive games and Philip Rivers Drew Brees they, Big ben. they play all the time. Yeah. Big Ben. Um, let's talk about the game itself because Dolphins got to win. You got to beat these bad teams just like they should have beat Jacksonville. But it, this was sloppy, Ira. And this was like kind of a little uh, – Jacoby Brissett didn't know he was going until an hour before the game. But – doesn't really excuse the play on both sides. It was one of the worst. Nine turnovers with perfect weather conditions. Miami had two interceptions and three fumbles. They had, listen, they had 12 drives, five either ended in a turnover. It's unbelievable. I mean, and the turnovers and, and, and Tyrod Taylor in Houston was the same thing. They, at one point, they each threw interceptions. And people, my, I was reading the papers today. They said, Miami's defense looks good. What? what? I don't think it looked great. <laughs> if you watch the game and when you're there, there was te Texans running, Texas wide receivers were, were going past the second. They were wide open. Tyra Taylor was overthrowing, underthrowing, throwing I don't know wherever. It was insane. Like the Dolphins, I'm not going to give Dolphins credit when, when the Texans offense was pathetic. It was terrible. And they and just and for people to say that, oh, the Dolphins defense is so, it was not awesome. Houston was just terrible on offense. Yeah, no, that's that's a joke. And the, the play calling continues to be bad. I, I just lose, I lost more confidence in the Dolphins in a win this week than I have in, in some losses. It's, well, really Gusecki made these great catches. And one of the reasons he made these great catches is because the passes are so, <laughs> high. He has to make circus catches in order to make these catches. And Waddle, it's, it's ever. But how about Miles Gaskin? He carried the ball 20 times for 34 yards. His longest carry was six yards, 20 times for 34 yards. They have no running game. And they're like, oh, the offensive line's improved. What? I just don't know. Anyone who watched this game, it was a mess on everything. And and look, I don't think anything should happen with Flores. I think they give him certainly another year. I don't yeah. like firing coaches. But this year has been, this team is a mess. Let's go to um, Cleveland and Cincinnati, Ira. And this is, it was like no surprise to anybody that Odell Beckham's time was worn through in Cleveland. He was uh, released. And what do you know? Cleveland looks like a much better team with him not in the building. Well, if you go on Iron Sports on my uh, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, I have the last catch that Odell had against the Steelers. <laughs> I got a picture, perfect, yeah. great picture for it. But remember, in August 27, 2018, I was in Jupiter eating at a restaurant. I came out and I heard the news. I was like, what great news. The Giants had signed, the Giants, or 2019 really, the Giants uh, uh, traded uh, the first third pick and Peppers to Julius 
Chili's Peppers for um, for Beckham. So they traded a first and third and one of their starters. And everyone's like, wow, this is a great trade. This is going to be something's going to help. But he really did not. I mean, at his his not 2019 at 74 catches, but the last two years he's only had 40 catches total, uh, and it's it's been a problem. And what happened is after this, the Steeler game, the trade deadline came. He wasn't traded. Nobody wanted to take the contract. It's an enormous contract. With He had a five-year, $95 million guaranteed, and there was money that was still, it was a mess in terms of this contract. That's why they hardly could trade him. But the fact is, so they ended up just waiving him. But uh, but after the um, Steeler game and after the trade deadline, his father went on the internet and posted all these, he said, look at all these games, like a whole highlight film of all the times he was open and sort of criticized Baker Mayfield. And Mayfield handled it well, professionally. Yeah. But I think at the end, the, the Browns were like, we're a better team without Beckham. And you saw this week, they won 41 to 16. Uh, it's not offense like... Offense looked great. It, offense looked great. And I was at the Steeler game. I don't think Beckham gets... He doesn't run his roots hard. He doesn't get separation. And, and he doesn't block. That's another thing. I don't think he was blocking. He was a great guy. People liked him. But I think when you're going to be a team, and this I've known from following the Steelers so much, and you and you, and you you follow for the Tampa Bay too. If you talk to those... If you talk to Anto Brown or Godwin or Evans, if you're going to run like some of these teams run... Your, your wide receivers have to block, yep. and he didn't want to block, and that's why he's— They block on the box. You always yeah. see them down making plays. Let, well, real quick, where do you think he ends up? I mean, they, they're saying Seattle's the front runner. I think he fits with the Saints. I've heard the Patriots come up. I don't think he— I don't think that's no, anything. No, that's never going to happen. People really are high on that. I think that's crazy. Uh, but what do you think? I think the Saints. I think the Saints would be one. I don't know if he wants to go to the Saints. Because of Trevor I think, Simeon. Yeah. Right. I think the Raiders could be one of the other team. But I don't know what the Raiders. I mean, he doesn't have the off-field issues really compared to the other. It's not an issue. But in terms of, I would think the Raiders, Seattle, or New Orleans would be the three yeah. plus spots. Ravens, to. too, maybe, if they want to go down that road. I don't think Harbaugh is that style to get involved. I know. Again, I think he would, I think he would hurt the Ravens because I think the Ravens are looking for blocking wide receivers. And if Beckham's not going to block, you can't have them because they run so much. I mean, these teams that run a lot and and I think that would be the situation. I think I I agree with you. Sometimes they throw 18 times a game. He wants 18 targets. Well, look, 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 the last night or yesterday Mayfield, they, they, uh, Mayfield only threw 21 times. So they, they they were not going to throw the ball a lot. They have Dominic people Jones, they have Jarvis Landry, and they were able to throw the ball that way and complete the passes. Let's talk about the game. Nick Chubb, he's got another gear. I mean, that that play that he broke for a touchdown, you thought he was at max speed. Then he hits the open field and just took off. It was impressive. And it allows the Browns with their defense. I mean, I think what was surprising is that the Bengals look like the Bengals, sort of. The Bengals didn't play well. Uh, Burrow had two interceptions. Jamar Chase dropped, as if you love him in fantasy, and you needed him to (laughs) catch that touchdown like I did, drops a touchdown pass. But it was weird. The Bengals did not get... I was surprised. The Bengals were sort of out of the game, and they could come back in the game, and they didn't look good. This was a bad loss. for. It was a good win for the Browns, and I think a bad loss for the Bengals. Bengals really need to make a statement and take control, and I just think bad loss. Big for division them. matchup that yeah. would have would have cemented them a little further into the serious playoff picture. Seven twenty eight, Iron Sports. About five six minutes, we'll go to Lars Anderson. So I played golf yesterday. Got off the golf course at like one forty five. Get in my car and what game's on? Dallas and Denver. And I'm like, oh, who wants to listen to this game? Little did I know, Denver was crushing them and didn't take their throat off. Uh, didn't take their foot off the, Dallas's throat till the fourth quarter. Well, it was like you, I couldn't understand the score. I saw it and I thought it was like something with yardage or something. It, it, you, it, you, yeah. you couldn't get. Nothing. It was thirty. It was it was sixty to nothing. Then nineteen to nothing. Then thirty to nothing. I mean, Dallas. I think what in the in the survivor pool between this and the Buffalo game, sixty percent of the people predicted the, that that. Uh, 
and Buffalo and Dallas would win. But just a terrible... It, it, wow, Dallas looked, as much as they look great, this is just a bad loss. And Denver, they traded Von Miller. Everyone thought they were conceding on the entire year and not didn't care about football. And they come out and play like that. Javante Williams uh, ran for over 100 yards. First 100-yard I mean, game. Yeah, and it, it's like... It's just something. It, this is one of those games where the Dallas was not prepared to play this football game at all. They just weren't. They're coached from the beginning to they, the end. They weren't up for this game, and they, they can criticize McCarthy for his in-game decisions, but this was a motivational thing. They weren't ready for this game, and it's and anyone who thinks Dallas is going to just waltz in and win the Super Bowl, uh, when they see a game like this, if you can't get up for that, this was pretty bad. Talk about not being able to get up for a game, Ira. What the heck happened with Buffalo and Jacksonville? All the credit in the world to Jacksonville, but this is the AFC that we keep seeing. No team takes over the AFC. It's just constant. As soon as a team gets high, they get brought back down to earth real quick. Well, I, I've seen this with Buffalo, and you saw it in the Steeler game. They, they, there are losses. Everyone says there are anomalies. They lose, they lose the Texas. I mean, they've lost two out of three weeks now. But their inability to run the ball and everything, I mean, they had 47 passes and 14 runs in yeah. a game that's 9-6. They lost 9-6, <laughs> and they passed the ball 47 times. You're putting all this pressure on Josh Allen. You're, he, he, they, run, they ran the ball 92 yards. He had 50 of those of those runs. I mean, and he played, he had interception. He was, uh, he was had a, a, a fun a fumble, a total mess, and then the Jacksonville Josh Allen's, their defensive player named Josh Allen. Everybody made a big deal about that. I think it's more big yeah. when Will Smith is pitching and Will Smith is hitting from the Braves <laughs> and the Dodgers, but Josh Allen versus Josh Allen. But uh, the last two drives, Buffalo had a chance to win the game, and Allen fumbled, and then he got yeah. sacked, and, and they and they couldn't do it. But I, I just, I, I, my takeaway from this game is I've always said this, we've been saying this, we don't think Jacksonville's that bad. I think they're 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 good. They're not good, but they're they pieces. They're they're they have some pieces. But I don't think this shows that Buffalo is not one of these teams that's going to walk in the playoffs and just win all these games. Yeah, this was the most improbable game of the season for me. Like how I I don't know why, but it did. Green Bay and Kansas City. Man, Jordan Love. <laughs> He's it's his first start ever, but he's 18 months in the league now. He's seen a lot. That was really really poor from Jordan Love, Ira, and Patrick Mahomes didn't look all that much better. Yeah, I think the story, I think the bigger story is Mahomes. We are seeing some decline. There has to be. I mean, there is. Bad passes everywhere. His the least amount of yards. He threw for 166 yards in weather conditions that weren't like horrendous. He was 20 for, he almost just completed barely half his passes for one touchdown. And Tyreek Hill had like a couple passes for 40 yards. Uh, they only scored 13 points on a Green Bay defense that no one's saying is the best defense they've ever seen. No. This was a bad, this was bad all around uh, in terms of, and, and Jordan Love's not, that's the reason why they got us on Aaron Rodgers to keep paying him to play there because he's not the quarterback of the future. If Aaron Rodgers played in this game, they win by 20 points. That That's how poor the Chiefs looked. And just the, the fact that Jordan Love couldn't do anything, they, they ended up getting the win. New York Giants did what they had to do. These, this team, if you're a marginal playoff team, you got to worry about the Giants because that's the teams that they beat when they're not supposed to and a, a big win over uh, uh, Vegas. Yeah, it's it's they ran the ball. They they actually without Saquon Barkley, who was out for COVID protocols, injuries or whatever. But Booker ran for 100 yards. Um, it's like they are, and Daniel Jones is showing that they can win. I mean, the Giants are one of these teams that could get blown out 40 to nothing, but they could also win a game like this. And and the Raiders are showing what the Raiders are. They're just a team that I mean, at at five and three, they're probably going to get into playoffs with a the ten and seven, a nine and eight record or something like that. But just was not impressed with this. Carr made two bad interceptions, uh, but it was. I think a bad loss for the Raiders. That's a really bad loss. And speaking of loss, they're, they're losing their cornerback, who they drafted in the first round two years ago after some really just dumb videos he posted online uh, surfaced. So of that draft with Henry Ruggs now, 
one player still on the team. He's a, a fourth-round player that's on special teams. That's a waste to draft uh, right there. I was really impressed with Arizona. I mean, you have no Kyler Murray, no DeAndre Hopkins. You're starting running back Chase Edmonds goes out on the first series. And they had their way with San Francisco. This game could have been worse if they wanted it to be. They had no A.J. Green. They didn't know anybody. Arizona had this was like uh, this was like uh, a preseason football. Yeah, like, yeah. Cole, McCoy, Cole McCoy, and they're playing the 49ers, and everyone thinks that Jimmy G was healthy. He played, and they still won the game, uh, 31-17. Uh, now Kyle Shanahan, who everyone thinks is this genius, brilliant coach, his records is six and tw- ten, four and twelve, Super Bowl one year, thirteen three, then six and ten and three and five. His overall record is thirty two and forty. I think people are starting to question. First of all, is all you can only win with Jimmy G. You can only do this. I mean, this is and. Trey Lance isn't playing, which I don't think he should be playing because no. he's not ready to play. But uh, uh, there was excuses. The 49ers seemed, I look at a team like this, they had that, they, were, they were clearly a one-year wonder in terms of what they were. Now they say, well, you said it, LSU was a one-year wonder. They, they were this clear one-year wonder. But a big win for Arizona. I mean, without Kyler Murray, I mean, Cole McCoy, he was 22 for 26. The Cliff Kingsbury just out-schemed Kyle Shanahan in every aspect of the game. He made Colt McCoy look good. Your backup looked very good against what's supposed to be a very good defense. And Arizona's defense is a real, real defense, and we're seeing that. And I, They're the only team that I'm confident in at this point to get wins, especially because the other team that I thought was the real contender got embarrassed pretty bad by Tennessee last night. I'm talking about the Rams. I don't know what happened with that Rams team. I kept thinking they're going to turn it on now, and it just never happened. And t- Tennessee, without their MVP, got to win. The Rams are uh, – these these two losses they've had have been bad, and this loss was uh, um, – Derrick Henry's out for Tennessee. He's not playing. Yeah. And, 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 and you, everyone picked, of course, the Rams to win. But Stafford, when he throws two interceptions, there's no – two interceptions back-to-back, one a pick six on, like, consecutive plays, and that's how you're going to lose a game. He – had a couple of underthrown balls, too, a couple of overthrown. Obviously, he was off. Tennessee's defense is not good, though. I mean, they can get to the quarterback slightly, and they did in this game, but this is an embarrassing loss for the Rams. Tennessee I, I, only had 194 yards total off of yeah. running and passing in the game, and they still <laughs> still won 28-16 because you can't make mistakes like that. And and I, I agree with you, what you said. Even with the mistakes they made, they should have still overcame and scored if they, if they scored 35 points in the game. They should so be. you're questioning what where the Rams were. And they were at home. I mean, they were playing at home. Yeah, crazy. Uh, tonight? You guys are on prime time versus Chicago. Good to see uh, our boy Justin Fields try to take on the big boys. So since 1998, the Steelers, uh, they've only played four times since 1998 because it's weird. They A number of years, I think they must have missed a game. I think during one of the strike years, mm-hmm. a couple of strike years they didn't play. But in 2017, the Bears won in overtime. And that was one of the games where Mike Lennon was the quarterback. And if you remember, that was the game that Antonio Brown threw the water cooler on the field where he was oh. mad that he wasn't getting the ball. <laughs> so that was it. And then 2013, the last game in Pittsburgh, Jay Cutler, this show, was the quarterback for, for the Bears. But so they, this for two storied franchises, the Bears, Steelers, they go back for Forever, um, they really, as I said, only played four times in, since the last twenty-three years. But uh, I really like, of course, Pittsburgh to win. They're favored by seven. I think the Steelers are playing much better. I, I, I don't see a reason. I mean. I could make the case the Steelers are going to the Super Bowl because I think that their defense is great and I love Ben and I think Najee Harris is playing better and I think the, the Bears are a mess. And so this, I think, but it's weird. It's a third, the over-under is 39. There's only been three games this year that the over-under has been under 40. So this is one of those games. And I would almost take it. I mean, I think that, like you said, the defense is good. I don't think Justin Fields has it figured out yet. I, I think that this, I think they cover, but it, I could see this being like 16-9, you know, one of those ugly games. You want to look at the playoff picture real quick? Really? I mean, the AFC, Four teams are out. Jets, Finns, Jacksonville, Houston. 
the other 12 teams, anyone, you can make a case, any one of those yeah. teams could go to the Super Bowl at this point. So the AFC is completely wide open with the losses. With I mean, everybody is, the, the, the Ravens have two losses, Titans have two losses, and everyone else has three, four, or five losses. Um, what do we got next week? Um, Baltimore is at Miami Thursday night. I might go to that game. And then, uh, might as well. Yeah, and Cleveland's <laughs> at the Patriots. Should be a big game. I'll be at the Detroit Pittsburgh game on Sunday. Tampa Bay is at Washington. Kansas City at Vegas, which is going to be a big game for both those teams. That's going to be a big game. Remember yeah. last year, that game was that was that that was one of the best games of the year last year. When, Kansas that, City. when they won, when yes. Vegas won, yeah. yeah, Vegas won, and that was tremendous. And the Monday night game is Rams at 49ers, which now is shaping up to be a must win for the 49ers and then someone where you're going to see what the Rams are. So. It's some interesting games next week. Let's speak with Lars Anderson here on Iron Sports. This is Iron Sports 95.9, 106.9. We're honored today to have Lars Anderson, who just uh, wrote a book called A Season in the Sun. Lars is a, you might see him from writing in terms of Sports Illustrated and all the books that he's wrote, Chasing the Bear, Dabo's World, all these great books. But Lars, thanks a lot for coming on Iron Sports and talking about A Season in the Sun. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. So last week or a couple of weeks ago, we had Sam Wickersham on who had wrote the book, It's Better to Be Feared. So this is sort of the analysis of the Tampa Bay Tom Brady experience. And, and I liked it. Your book is fantastic and it's just a must read. I liked how you used the quote. Um, they said, if you build it, he will come. And you really went and said Tampa had in order for Tom Brady to want to come to Tampa Bay. Uh, General Manager Jason liked had to and Bruce Arians had to put that put the, the steps in place that he you know, would want to come to that, that team. Yeah, yeah, they use that uh, the field of dreams uh, analogy to build it, they will come. Uh, and, and really what we're referring to is the, you know, we're able to tell Tom, and Tom had already done his research uh, when when Jason and Bruce had their initial phone conversation with Tom, and he was aware that the young, talented defense, uh, the incredible wideouts, uh, great tight ends, uh, an emerging offensive line, and they hadn't even drafted uh, Worfs yet, who is who I think is going to be an All-Pro one day. Um, and uh, you know, it was almost like Tom was selling, and Bruce has said this multiple times, but it was almost like Tom was selling himself uh, more than Bruce and Jason were selling the franchise because because uh, Tom had made up his mind, you know, that um, that he wanted to come to Tampa. And because uh, it's it sort of, you know, Tom being the meticulous guy that he is, he wrote a list of 20 things uh, that he wanted in a warm weather. He wanted to be close to New York where his son lives. Uh, and, you know, it's a relatively quick flight from Tampa up to LaGuardia. And uh, it just Tampa just checked all the boxes uh, more so than any other team. And, you know, uh, at the end of that first conversation, Jason told Tom, he's like, well, you know, there might be a, a, an issue here because uh, one of our players, Chris Godwin, he wears number 12. And Tom's like, I don't care. I'll wear number seven. <laughs> and uh, Jason's like, why seven? Because Tom said, because I want that seventh ring. And uh, But, but, but uh, Chris ended up, uh, you know, giving up his jersey, uh, didn't, didn't ask for anything from Tom. Uh, I think he just he was going into a contract year and he wanted the ball thrown his way and it certainly uh, it worked out well for both. And what are the, the players that doesn't what are the players what are the 
people in this narrative don't get a lot of credit is Jason Light. I mean, here's someone who was 27 and 52 after five years. Maybe a general manager would have been fired if the Glaciers would have been you know, quick to get rid of him. But they kept, he drafted a kicker in the second round. But still, he was able to put together, and if you just look at the draft picks and everything, this amazing team that he was able to, to, to it was a tremendous team that he put together. But just how Jason was able to create the team with Godwin and Evans and, and to a team that actually Brady won, wanted to come to. Yeah, um, okay, about Aguayo being picked in the second round, I, I will say this. That was not Jason's call. I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> he did not want to take, take a kicker in the second round, and I and he, he jokes about it, um, you know, and he, he knows it's probably going to go on his epitaph, and he was the general manager who picked a, a kicker in the second round, and then the kicker flames out. Um, but I, I'm just telling you, there's a lot more to that story. Uh, and, but, but, but yeah, I mean, he's hit on so many draft picks and, uh, and just done a, a, a masterful job with the, with the roster construction. And, you know, Jason w- worked at, uh, for the Cardinals when Bruce was the head coach. He was, I think, the assistant GM. And, uh, Bruce and, and, and Jason have a really strong working relationships relationship i mean they're they're really like they're buddies you know they it's they they enjoy just having a cocktail you know after after games and and just they enjoy each other's company uh their families are friends and and you know bruce would not have come out of retirement to play for anyone other than jason that that i am sure of and of course he had to get his wife chris to sign off on it and, uh, you know, she just said, well, I want an unlimited travel budget <laughs> so I can see my grandkids uh, up in Al- up in Birmingham, Alabama, where, where I live. And um, and that Bruce had to give up play calling duties because she was worried, frankly, that he was going to uh, have a stroke on the sideline and die on the sideline because he would get so stressed uh, by just the, the, the play calling. So and, and Bruce doesn't take the job if Byron left, which isn't available. He won. He wanted Byron all the whole the whole way because one Byron was with him in Arizona. Uh, in Arizona, I, I, I know Cliff's Kingsbury. He wanted to take over play calling duties, and and um, you know he, he let, let they let Byron go. And uh, I mean, and, and Bruce says that 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 Byron can actually teach the offense better than he can because Byron's played in it. Whereas Bruce simply designed it, but he's never played in it. And I think it also helps dramatically the fact that Byron is a lot, was a lot like Tom Brady in that he wasn't very mobile. And so he had to just sort of manipulate in the pocket. Uh, and I think he sees things the way that Tom does. And um, so, yeah, I mean, you know, just the, the roster construction, all the assistants, uh, Bruce got every single guy that he wanted, and 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 the and women, uh, most diverse staff in the NFL. Wouldn't be surprised if both Todd Bowles and Byron Leftwich are uh, head coaches next year. And you mentioned I you I know you're based now in Tuscaloosa in Alabama, teaching at Alabama, but. People forget that Bruce Arians was coached under Bear Bryant. So Bear Bryant, the legendary Alabama football coach, and you had a book called Chasing the Bear. But And I love the quote that you had in the book that goes, Bear Bryant's last words to Arians were, coach them hard and hug them harder. 
And I think that it's interesting to see Arians now later in his life, but take the lessons that he learned from the legendary Bear Bryant in terms of coaching this team. Yeah, it's, it's pretty fascinating. You know, Bruce is the last sort of direct link to Bear Bryant. Uh, he's the last one on, on, on that, was on that final staff with Bryant who is still coaching. And uh, what you just articulated is Bruce is the core of Bruce's coaching philosophy. And they, that is just, uh, you know, to really, uh, you coach them hard, you yell at them, you, <laughs> you do everything you can. But they have to, the player needs to realize it. it's a critique of, of the play, of the player as the, the skills, not the person. And Bruce wants, he's really good at, at, at nurturing relationships, at, um, you know, just making, and, and, uh, making uh, players feel comfortable around him. And uh, he loves to joke, and, you know, he's, he's really smart, really, really smart. And, um, you know, he's just, I think he's much better in this CEO type of role rather than in the play-calling role. And, of course, he has a big say in it, right? He sits in on the meetings with, with Leftwich and, and Brady uh, when Tom will pick his 30 favorite pass plays, <laughs> and then they'll put him in a script. Um, so Bruce is still very much involved. And, you know, last year was really a work in progress because Tom in, in New England, he preferred the shorter routes, uh, death by a thousand cuts philosophy, Whereas Bruce wants to push the ball down the field, he wants at least six long balls a game, which is more than any other coach in the NFL. And Tom sort of struggled with that right out of the gate last season. He threw, you saw him throw a pick six against uh, the Saints in the season opener, threw another uh, interception in the season opener. And he, uh, you know, Clyde Christensen later told me, the, the quarterback's coach for Tampa, told me that there were plays in that season opener against the Saints that Tom simply didn't know where the guys were going. <laughs> and there was a lot of confusion because, you know, the pandemic, Tom missed out on over 1,500 snaps that he or reps that he would have gotten in practice because of the pandemic. And so Tom had to learn this, you know, this expansive new offense, uh, new terminology in a very short amount of time. And it was in interesting that the Tampa staff can monitor how many hours a player is logged into their iPad studying the offense each week. And this continues to this day. Tom is by far and away logged into that more than any other player. And that just tells you, even the great Tom Brady, I mean, this is hard. This is hard stuff. And he puts in the time that simply other quarterbacks don't. And, um, and, and I, you know, I, I, I didn't know a ton about Brady before I, I started doing this book, but I'm, I'm telling you, he's the most disciplined person I've ever met, be it in business, uh, law, uh, you know, academia. I, I, it's just amazing, you know, from his diet to how he exercises, his emphasis on pliability and stretching and band work and, and the TB12 method. And he drinks more water than any person on the face of this planet. You know, he's always lugging around like 24 uh, electrolyte-fueled uh, 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 bottles of water. And he goes to bed every night at 8.30. You know, it's just uh, he's, a, he's a very regimented person and, a, and a, a, like I said, an incredibly disciplined person. Well, you mentioned in the book that when some Leftwich thought, 
well, there was a, some discussion. Well, why don't you just t- use the offense that Brady ran in New England and, and cater it? And Arians and Leftwich said it's easier to have one brilliant guy learn the plays rather than 21 guys learn another system. So they felt it was easier for, you know, Brady's going to catch on and we're going to work with him. Even though they said Leftwich has studied every single pass that Brady ever threw in New England, looked at every single play. So he knew what he was running, but he's thought it was better that easier for Brady to learn the uh, Tampa system. Yeah, exactly. And, um, you know, it, it, it took uh, it took a melding of the mind. It was at the bye week. They're seven and five last year, and they'd lost two in a row. And honestly, and, and Bruce didn't say this publicly, but he was thinking, all right, we're, we're just going to use these last games of the season to get ready to make a run in 2021 and, um, and, and make a run for the Super Bowl the following year. Right. And, uh, and just we're trying to get iron all the kinks out here at, in, at the end of the year. It was no way in his mind was he ever thinking Super Bowl. Uh, but then they went on and, you know, they won uh, eight consecutive games, go on the road, beat the Packers and um, in, in the uh, in the uh, championship game. And I really think the key play of the, of the entire season was again this uh, expression of Bruce's offense: no risk it, no biscuit. Right, mm-hmm. that's what he always talks about. Throw the ball deep, and you know, with just a few seconds left in the in the first half, uh, Brady throws a beautiful ball to Scotty Miller, touchdown. Uh, I think it was thirty nine, forty yards somewhere in there. And that play doesn't happen if Leonard Fournette uh, doesn't make a key block. And and Bruce just uh, a few days earlier. Uh, had told Leonard because Leonard was being, he was very aloof. He wasn't getting a lot of touches. And uh, during one walkthrough practice, Leonard just sat on his helmet. And Bruce went over to him and he said, he said, look, go inside to the locker room, call who you need to call, take 20 minutes, and then come back and tell me if I need to cut you or tell me that you're going to play. And Leonard did that. He went into, he went in. And uh, made uh, made some calls, came back out, and said, "I'm good, coach." And Leonard ends up being uh, and obviously one of the key players in, in their Super Bowl run. Made that key block, and he begun and he and he becomes so um, uh, close with Bruce that he took a discount and resigned this year. You know, and, and that's just that's like sort of the magic of, of Bruce Arians. Uh, it, it's uh, it's managing relationships. And just being straight up with the players, and and they know what the the expectations are. There is no gray area, and um, yeah, been widely successful, and certainly wouldn't be surprised if they repeat. Yeah, and you you discuss about Brady's not just his ability, but also his leadership ability. How when he went there, the first thing he wanted is I wanted the cell phone numbers of every single player. He would call the players, work with them, ran the drills. And you have the funny story with Ryan Jensen about how he had to call the center, and he was like the center was in Colorado on a hunting trip, and he asked uh, Ryan about a certain thing. You can discuss that a little bit, but uh, just interesting about how Brady's whole leadership ability. Yeah, uh, I think Tom basically said, you know, uh, we talked to Ryan, um, <laughs> said hello, introduced himself, and oh, by the way, we're going to put baby powder on your butt <laughs> uh, because he didn't want um, he didn't want uh, his his hands to get wet. Tom is just obsessed with keeping his hands dry, and he didn't want a sweaty uh, behind. And so uh, the coaches would laugh at practice 
to other players would because whenever Ryan would run around, you'd see these puffs of like white clouds coming from his backside, and uh, everybody got a real kick out of that. But Ryan, to his credit, he's like, if it's if I'll do if Tom Brady tells me to do something, I'm going to do it. And then Sam Wickersham in his book mentioned about how Brady had all these ideas. You know, the same thing Aaron Rodgers has talked about. I have ideas what players I want to come in. He said felt that no one was listening to him. But you mentioned in the book with Antonio Brown, Gorkowski, even getting Fournette, working with him, getting him, that people were, they listened in Tampa, even though he was only there like a few months, they were listening to what players he wanted to bring in, and they actually signed those deals and brought those players there. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think Tom played a he played a big role obviously in bringing uh leonard he uh, texted leonard right after he got released by the jags he uh was constantly in the ear of jason and bruce about wanting to sign antonio brown even picked up antonio at the airport i mean who does that these days uh and then antonio stayed at, 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 at tom's place uh Derek jeter's old house which recently sold um, and he, he was obviously instrumental in getting Gronkowski, and um, that was on blind faith. You know, they didn't get a chance to work out Gronkowski. Bruce, the previous year, had called one of the Patriot games, and he looked. He thought Bruce, that Gronk was just a, a broken player, and that uh, he simply didn't couldn't get separation. But now, you know, you look back at the Super Bowl, who are the three guys who scored touchdowns? Well, it was the three guys that Tom Brady brought in, <laughs> <laughs> that Tom Brady was instrumental in bringing in. So, yeah, I mean, you could add sort of like assistant general manager, uh, assistant head coach as well uh, to Brady's uh, job description. Yeah, we're talking to Lars Anderson, his book, A Season in the Sun. It's about last year's Tampa Bay Super Bowl championship season. And there's one question I had in my mind. And, you know, in terms of choosing Tampa Bay, we mentioned about the the, the teams – he grew up wanting, and Sam mentioned this in his book about how he grew up being a 49ers fan. He had a lot of dreams to play. But when he found out that, you know, was Tampa the team that he, you know, when, when that just wanted him the most? Or was it, what was that situation in terms of him going to Tampa? Because when I heard first Tampa, I think everyone was like, what, Tampa? But what drove him in terms of believing that, you know, it's not going to be the 49ers and it's not going to be the Chargers, it'll be Tampa Bay? Yeah, so that's, um, yeah, Seth. Seth is a good friend of mine, and that's an outstanding book. Um, so, yeah, my, I didn't really get into that in my book. Um, I just know that Tampa checked the boxes. And um, and I, I also know that, that for whatever reason, the 49ers uh, opted to pass on, on Brady. And I, I think there was some little anger that, with that with Tom uh, just because they wouldn't even engage in a discussion because he did. He wanted to go home. He wanted, you know, he's from the Bay Area. He wanted to be closer to his parents. And um, But also, you know, Giselle, his wife, she wanted to be, make it an easier flight to um, to Brazil and uh, to her uh, native country. And it's, it's a lot easier to get there from Tampa than it is from uh, San Francisco. But, you know, I, 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 I certainly don't question Seth's reporting. Uh, but again, I don't really dig deep into it, but I, 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 I can tell you this at 15 seconds after free agency period began, the very first call that Don Lee, uh, Tom's agent received was from Jason light. And there was no, and, and, and Don said, you made the right call. 
so I took that as an interpretation that Tom, right from the beginning, wanted to go to Tampa. Uh, but uh, again, you know, uh, Seth's uh, certainly, again, I do not dispute Seth's reporting at all, but uh, it, it just, I, what I deduced from the flow of events was that Tom's target was Tampa. And it's interesting because you mentioned in the book about how you spell out about Bruce Arians talking about Jameis Winston, his quarterback, who, you know, Arians and thought that when people on the outside looked at Tampa Bay, they didn't say, well, they're one quarterback away from winning a Super Bowl. But Arians did. He felt like if we don't throw 30 interceptions, we're going to be we're going to be a Super Bowl champion. And those last two games, they were seven and seven. And then they lost the last two games. He threw a bunch of interceptions. So I think that was the feeling that they felt, you know, they zeroed in on Brady, thinking that this is what they have to do to get to the, just, they were just one, literally one player away. Yeah. And, um, you know, Bruce, he thought he could fix Jameis. He really did. And, uh, he, he, uh, he just, you know, you could see the look of exasperation on his face and that final game where, on the first play of overtime, Jameis throws a pick six, uh, shortest overtime game in NFL history. And afterward, he said, Jameis does so many great things, but he does so many awful things. And he, he just had it. And uh, so he had decided at that moment to move on from Jameis. And uh, their first target was Teddy Bridgewater. Because they, they didn't think they had a shot at Brady. Um, but... Uh, but yeah, I mean, once they got sort of word through their own league sources that Tom could be interested, um, they went and uh, Clyde Christensen, the quarterbacks, goes Byron and Bruce and Jason. They all analyzed every throw that Tom had made in the last two years, and and they came to the conclusion that he still that he still had it. And um, and one of the first conversations Bruce had with Tom was they said, "Look, we are really good." But we don't know we're good. We need you to tell. We need you. Your mere presence will make us so much better because these young players don't understand how good they are. And man, it's it just it, it was it, it was it, it is just absolutely remarkable how one player can change the entire culture of an organization. But that's exactly what Tom did. Well, I, Lars, I really appreciate you taking time out and talking about your book, A Season in the Sun. It's available in Barnes & Noble, Amazon, everywhere. And it's, it's, what I love about it is that it just, you go, we, we heard about things, but the stories that you tell, the Jensen story, Brady, but it, it's great. And I really appreciate you writing the book. And sort of, it's a must read for anybody who likes football. Even if you don't like football, it's, just a, it's a great story of the Belichick and Brady and Arians and just everything about it. It's almost a Shakespearean type of, of, uh, of story. Thank you so much. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. You know, it normally, this is my 12th book, and it normally takes me about 18 months to write a book and to report and write a book, and I did this one in 12 weeks. So it was uh, it was a stressful process, but, you know, Bruce is great. I just, uh, Bruce and I had written a book together before, Quarterback Whisperer, so I've had a long, long-time relationship with, with B.A., and, um, you know, we just spent hours and hours and hours just talking, and, and, and uh you know, I'm from Lincoln, Nebraska. Uh, Jason played at uh, Nebraska for two years, and it turns out that Jason and I have a bunch of friends in common, which is just a small world thing. And uh, also shows you everybody in the same Nebraska does actually know each other. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, it just you, I, I just hope Tampa fans just realize how special they have it, uh, how special this team is, 
from front office all the way uh, to the, the 53rd guy on the roster. Uh, what, what is happening in Tampa um, is something that, that really uh, the fans there should cherish. And I think your book totally captures it. So, Lars, once again, thank you so much for coming on Iron Sports. I uh, really appreciate you talking about your book. Great stuff there from Lars Anderson here on Iron Sports. Couple of minutes left, Ira, and really big weekend for fighting. Let's talk boxing first. Well, first, Canelo Alvarez, the number one boxer in the pound for pound in the world, unified the super middleweight division. Now he holds all four titles. Uh, he beat Caleb, um, uh, Caleb Plant. Uh, he won the title in 2019, defended three times He's from Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, Alvarez is 31 years old. He is getting better. I mean, he is the best fighter around, and he looked fantastic in this fight, dominated it, knocked Plant out in the 11th round. But it's it's like you're seeing Alvarez, who his whole career, he's fought so many times at 57-1-2. and two, But this is a better fighter than he was with, fought against Triple G. I would love the fight because he's just, he is powerful. He is elusive. He takes the punches. He's a prof- he's smart. And in this fight, he didn't, a lot of times he takes the first couple of rounds out, gets used to what the fighter is. He went from round one on and was dominating this fight, and now he holds all four titles. Don't know where he's going to go next, but it was a, a big fight to watch. Uh, so I was really tired Saturday night. And I kept waking you up yeah. for this, yes. I, and well, my phone started going nuts about, what a great fight. And then I get more texts, you know, 20, 30 minutes later, what a great fight. So I pull UFC up, and it was just Ira. Amazing fight after amazing fight. What a treat that was. Well, first of all, Justin, they, this the UFC, the, the boxing, they have one fight. UFC starts, the first fight is Justin Gaethje versus Michael Chandler, the number three and number four yeah. <laughs> uh, boxers in, in the welterweight. And Gaethje, who had just only lost to Khabib in 2020, but has won five straight. But it was it was a great, I mean, he, Chandler just fought and fought and fought, and Gaethje ended up winning uh, winning the match, but that was great. Then you had Rose uh, in the strawberry title, Rose for Zhang Wili, and Rose had her title, kept her title. But of course, the main event was the number one pound for pound. It's weird that you have the number one pound for pound boxer, but it's the number one pound for pound UFC fighter. It's fighting almost literally the same time. Yeah. I had two screens working on this. Uh, Kamara Usman about Kobe Cunningham. They had fought before. Usman won, and was, people thought it was one of the best uh, matches ever in terms of one of the best title matches ever. But uh, Usman, look, uh, Covington had his chances. He tried to do different things, but but uh, but Usman was just better. Usman's just he's stronger. Uh, he was able to box better. And whenever Covington tried to get him on the ground and wrestle him, he was able to to to, to make around, you know, get, get away from the holds and stand up again. Uh, he won 48-47, 48-47, 49-46. So it was like three rounds to two, three rounds to two, and and uh, and four and four rounds to one. But great, great UFC card. It was in it was in Madison Square Garden. Said so all the excitement, all the celebrities were there. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's like Alvarez fought in Vegas and uh, and Usman fought in Madison Garden. And you just wish that they could have put it on one of the off weeks. That, that would have been better. Yeah, <laughs> didn't work out that way. What about NASCAR? Well, Kyle Larson won the title. This is, I hate the format. I think it's terrible. They put Larson, Trix Jr., Hamlin, and Elliott. Uh, uh, Larson and Elliott are teammates with Hendrick Motorsports, Hamlin and Trix with Joe Gibbs Racing. Larson had won nine races, by far the most in, of every one there. And last, last year he was suspended uh, for a racial slur. So he did not. He just ran in tracks all around the country. He was fired from his cup team, from Chip Ganassi. Hendrick and Jeff Gordon signed him, and uh, Larson came back, had a great year this year, but he was dominating the entire race. It's a winner-take-all race, even though Larson, you don't add up your points, dominating the entire race, but uh, but then his car started to slow with like 25 laps to go when he was in fourth place. There was an accident. He pitted because he had the first pit boss box. His team had the best time to get out. He beat uh, uh, Truex Jr. by .43 seconds out of the pit box, took that 
that lead, and then he was able to run through and hold off Truex Jr. The last 25 laps was so exciting. He ended up winning Kyle Larson wins his uh, first NASCAR championship. Uh, very, just a, a great win. It's Hendrick's 14th championship in 27 years. And what about Formula One? Well, it looks like this could be over because that, now I was at the Dolphin game, so I didn't see it, but I watched the highlights, of course. But Verstappen held off Hamilton in Mexico, so he has an 18-point lead, which is not insurmountable, but it's going to take a miracle. Not a miracle, but something crazy happening. There's only four races to go in Brazil, Qatar, Saudi Arabia, and Abu Dhabi. But uh, it looks like Matthew Verstappen's going to have that uh, have that lead. And then you said you were listening to tennis on the way into oh, the Dolphins well, game. Well, again, we should spend a half an hour on this tennis match because Djokovic and Medvedev, this is a replay of what happened at the U.S. Open and where Djokovic, and also Australian Open, but in the U.S. Open where Medvedev had dominated uh, Djokovic in three sets. And you're like, oh my gosh, the passing of the torch. Medvedev's the young person who's the champion. He's going to be greater than Djokovic. He wins the first set easily. You're thinking Djokovic's finished. Djokovic wins the second set and then in a great set. And then I'm driving for the third set, but I'm listening to tennis <laughs> on the radio. And Djokovic then just of fell apart. Djokovic ended up winning the third set. This is his 37th Masters title. Nadal is 36. Now Djokovic finishes the year. He's seventh time he's been number one at the end of the year. Nadal and Federer have only been number one five times. Of course, they've all won 20 majors. But uh, this is one. Djokovic changed his game. He's so great. He became more aggressive, served in volley, came to the net, did everything he can. So here's, a, here's Djokovic. In the end of his career, he's still beating these younger players who are so good by just making some changes in his game. And that's why uh, he's the greatest of all time. He's going he's gonna to have like 25 majors when this is all said and done. Where are you going this week? So much. Michigan, Penn State on Saturday. Detroit, Pittsburgh, Penn State. Steelers, uh, Detroit on Sunday. Maybe Thursday game. Thursday would be uh, a Wednesday. I'm going to go to Orlando. Mike Isolino, a friend of our show. Oh, nice. Robert Morris is playing Central Florida. The Magic are in town, but I got to see my one chance to see Mike play in Central Florida, so I'll see that game. <laughs> that should be a lot of fun. We're out of time. Thanks so much to Lars Anderson. He's Ira. I'm Mike. Let's talk next Monday night, Ira on Sports.